Uh, we have been praying for Braden and his wife Casey Lee uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, this is a candidating weekend where Braden kind of comes and gets to know our body and finds out, would this be a good fit? And we get to know Braden and ask the question, would this be a good fit? Uh, and so Braden is going to bring the word with us this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you would uh, join me in praying for our time together. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray, uh, as I always pray for myself, that this morning Braden would decrease and you would increase. Uh, Lord, as we desire to get to know him and to hear his heart, I pray more importantly that we hear the heart of the Father through him, uh, that you would come and speak to the hearts of your people and that you would use Braden to do that. So Lord, come and have your way. Uh, I thank you for the work that he has put in uh, and his heart uh, coming into this weekend. Uh, may he now just share the burden that you've placed on his heart. Um, Lord, and may, may you move in the midst of it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, I first want to thank you guys for having me and my wife. Um, we've really enjoyed it. Uh, we've really enjoyed seeing the beautiful uh, city or town of Elkins. Um, so thank you. All right. Let me get this figured out real quickly here. I figured I would start uh, by giving a little introduction into my wife, my wife and I. Uh, my name is Braden Mangum, uh, and I recently married Casey Lee. Uh, uh, we met at Tacoa Falls College, uh, where I got my bachelor's degree in cross-cultural studies, um, which is a fancy way of saying a missionary degree. Um, <laughs> And Casey Lee got her uh, bachelor's in uh, counseling and psychology. Um, however, she's about to graduate uh, her master's program uh, and get uh, a master's in clinical and mental health. Um, so we're excited for that. Um, I grew up as a missionary kid in the country of Jordan. My parents uh, were there for 11 years of my life. Um, in fact, I come from a long line of missionaries. Uh, fifth generation, I will be the fifth generation missionary. Um, uh, we, they, they've, uh, this has shaped who I am today. Growing up uh, with such a family, uh, I often wondered, um, why is it that my family was able to sacrifice so much uh, in, their, in following Jesus? Why is Jesus' cause for so much sacrifice in their lives? They sacrifice their closeness to family, uh, both kids and, and parents both. Um, they, they sacrifice the comforts of home and are put into a place where they don't know the culture, they don't know the language. Um, they're toddlers in how they can speak to the people around them. Um, it re really takes full surrender um, to God and what he has for them. In fact, growing up, I often was curious about this myself. Um, what about God is worth so much sacrifice? Well, I was, uh, as I was thinking about it in preparation for today, 
Um, the answer, I remembered several stories in, in Scripture, both in Scripture and uh, in, that's been passed down through my family um, that kind of point out uh, what the answer is. Often we see in Scripture that ordinary people um, sacrifice their lives for Jesus. Time and time again, people in the New Testament, um, well, people in the New Testament come to know Jesus and stop everything and f- to follow him. I can think of Paul and how much he sacrificed on Christ's behalf. I can think of the disciples who had little regard for the outcome of their lives as long as they were in service to God. However, today I want to talk about several individuals um, that did this, um, that have just um, really shaped um, where I'm at in my life today. Each of these individuals demonstrate principles that we, we need to model in our lives to fully surrender and follow him. The first principle is that we can only be satisfied by Jesus. He is the fresh spring welling up into eternal life. The second principle we see is when faced with sin, immediate response and obedience are necessary. The fact that Jesus has cleared our sins pushes us to obedience and to faith-filled surrender. Um, And the third is that Jesus fully submitted to the Father in his act on the cross. And this act of submission provided the foundation for our worship and surrender. So the first story I want to focus on um, is the story of the Samaritan woman. So if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to John 4, 7, um, uh, and we'll, we'll go through that passage. Jesus, uh, before we do, though, I want to go into some uh, context. Jesus, after a long day of journeying, stopped at a well for a drink. No doubt a divine appointment. Uh, It takes place during one of his journeys. He was traveling from Judea to Galilee. During this particular trip, Jesus made his way uh, past the Samaritan uh, village. Now Samaritans in Jewish culture uh, were people who had broken their tradition of marrying uh, within the Jewish people. Um, They were seen as half-breeds and Gentiles. They they, uh, also had a slight, uh, felt betrayal um, by the Jews. The Jews kind of felt betrayed by them because of this. Usually when a Jewish person had to travel past the Samaritan village, uh, they would take the long way around. Um, But Jesus decided to ignore the bias of the people towards the Samaritans. 
Another detail is that, uh, is that usually when women come to draw water at the well, uh, they do it in the morning. This is because of two things. First of all, the temperature is much more manageable. And the heat of the day does not affect uh, the chore of having to draw water out of a deep well. Um, and secondly, it was a social gathering for women. The Samaritan, the Samaritan woman in the story, however, made an exception. She came to the well in the noontime. It says in John 4, 6 through 7, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired uh, as he was from, a, from the journey, sat down by the well. Um, it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? This small detail uh, in the passage tells us something profound about the Samaritan woman. Why do you think she would favor going to the well in the heat of the day? Well, we don't know for sure, but I suppose it's because she wanted to be alone. Jesus, as you will read in the story, will understand. Uh, he knows the details of this lady's life. Um, John 4, 7 continues, uh, sorry, 4, 9 continues. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, uh, and the well is deep. Where can I, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, let's see, where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who, get, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the well I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, Jesus was trying to communicate something that the Samaritan woman could not understand. He was speaking of a life filled with an abundant spring of water overflowing into the lives of the people around them. He describes it as a fresh welling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Where Casey and I are living right now in Florida, we absolutely love going to the springs nearby. Um, and if you can just picture with me uh, a bright blue water, clear as can be, uh, you step into that water and you swim to a hole in the ground. And in fact, it's 
when you start to swim, the closer you get, the more you get pushed back from that hole. When you get above it, you look down and you see an endless cavern going down with water just welling up out of that. Um, this analogy describes the contrast of being spiritually satisfied and spiritually dead. In the physical world, water is a requirement for life. Nothing can survive without water. Similarly to our soul, Jesus is the giver of life. We cannot be satisfied unless we have Jesus. The Samaritan woman did not understand Jesus, um, but something was about to change. Let's read on. Verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus then said uh, to her, you are right when you, you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. But you have just said, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither uh, on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshipped what they do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. When I was preparing for this message, these verses stood out to me. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Well, I understand what it means to worship in truth. Using God's word in the midst of my worship, of our worship, works well for this. However, what does it mean to worship in spirit? Jesus says that a time is coming, indeed it is now here, when they will worship in spirit and in truth. It seems to be looking forward to a moment when the Holy Spirit will indwell his people. Later in the book of John, Jesus says again, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said with a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of flowing water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So this fulfillment of the Spirit will have profound effects on the lives of God's people. And this picture of a welling spring overflowing into eternal life or a river of living water flowing from them is a picture of what it looks like to worship in spirit. The beginning of Acts describes 
the event of the Holy Spirit indwelling the lives of the disciples. And the, uh, <clears throat> and the effect that it has on the believers is quite crazy. I'm sure you all know it. Acts 2, the believers have what looks like tongues of fire come down and lay itself on them. They then were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages. They received boldness to share the gospel. Peter, who recently uh, denied Jesus, is now preaching boldly to the crowds about him. So there's no doubt that this detail is important for us to grasp. In fact, it really reminds me of what the Samaritan woman is about to do in our story. Um, verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who... Uh, the one speaking to you, I am he. It is not often that, you, we, uh, that in the New Testament that Jesus makes a clear, straightforward statement about who he is. In fact, he usually uses parables or stories. Um, but for this instance, he gives an exception. Then, as if the woman had to, a switch turned on in her heart, verse 28 reads, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way and told him. Uh, toward him, sorry. You see, Jesus points out the sin of the Samaritan woman and what she was carrying. He reveals the darkness in her life and the reason for her noontime trip to the well. No doubt that she was experiencing shame and guilt. And I don't want the other, and didn't want the other women who were also drawing water from that well to judge her for the life that she had lived. At, at great cost, she was searching for satisfaction in that sin. But Jesus, in his compassion and grace, tells the woman of the satisfaction that she can only find in him. Then the woman responds. She responds in great action. Immediately upon understanding this fullness that Jesus has to offer, goes and tells her village about Jesus and what he had said. So that's story number one. Story number two. My great-grandparents were missionaries in Vietnam um, a long time ago. And uh, during one of their home services, uh, home assignments, where they came home for a year um, and toured the United States telling people about what God has done, um, they were living in Florida. And often, people uh, would come up to them and question the safety of the children and family um, in Vietnam. In fact, it began to happen so often and so 
distinctly that it began to weigh on my great-grandmother's heart. Um, then one day, something crazy happened. In the middle of the United States, in the middle of Florida, a plane crashed right on their front doorstep. Um, and parts of this plane broke off and flew into the house um, with the family inside. My great-grandmother, standing at the, the kitchen sink, had a part just fly inches away from her head. None of the family in the house was touched. And from that moment on, throughout the, my life, I have always heard her say, um, if God can keep me safe from a plane crash in the middle of Florida, then he can see, keep me safe in the middle of the Vietnam jungle. You see, uh, my grandmothers uh, had fear, and God used this plane to, uh, to clear that fear from her heart. She surrendered it. We all have fear that is preventing us from taking steps towards faith-filled obedience and surrender. What will God use to move you towards surrendering that fear? Um, that's story number two. If I were to pick out a passage that captures what it looks like to surrender to Jesus, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 is where I would go. In order to fully understand this passage, though, I want us to use our imaginations. Um, so please, uh, if you want to, close your eyes uh, as I read and just imagine, imagine uh, this scene from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Hosea died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The one of the, one of the, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. And he had taken with tongs from the altar uh, that, that he had taken. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Such a wonderful story that puts God in perspective. Isaiah the prophet 
is experiencing something that resembles a salvation moment that we all have upon understanding Jesus and the cross. But what I want us to focus on is the response that Isaiah has after merely looking at God. He immediately is compelled to humility, saying, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a man, a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Then God, in his mercy, clears Isaiah of his sin, and Isaiah is faced um, uh, excuse me. And Isaiah is faced with the question. Now your guilt is removed and your sin, sins are forgiven. Whom shall I send as a messenger to the people? And who will go for us? And I, I, again, Isaiah's response is wonderful. Simple. Here I am, Lord, send me. This passage is beautiful, not only because we get a wonderful view into the throne room, of God, but also because we get to see a response of a man who, uh, uh, excuse me, because we get to see, uh, sorry, um, the only, uh, but also because we get to see the response of a man who has seen the forgiveness and mercy that God extends to him and to all those who receive him. His forgiveness. As I look into the congregation, I'm wondering how many of you are feeling a nudge in your heart after this passage of scripture. Because Jesus, uh, just like Isaiah, God is asking that same question of us. Whom shall I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? It's time to step deeper into faith-filled surrender. Story number four. The earliest missionary in my family, uh, great, great grandpa George Braden. Um, they, uh, early in their marriage, they lived in Ohio. Um, and a church much like this one, during their missionary conference, uh, there was a missionary that came to speak at the church, um, gave his testimony of what God was doing. Uh, in, in the land where he served. Um, and then, um, at the end of his, passage, uh, his message, he stands up and asks the question, uh, people need to hear Jesus in Arabia. Who will go uh, and serve God in Arabia? And immediately, my great-great-grandpa George, his response is, I will. Um, and without first talking to his wife, he realizes, so later he turns to her and says, um, so what do you think about this? Uh, uh, but her, her, aunt's was, her answer was uh, wonderful. She said, if you hadn't have stood up, I would have. Uh, such a wonderful testimony. However, it doesn't stop there. You see, my great-great-grandfather was next in line to receive um, his father's business, um, a very successful business. Um, and so he had to approach his father and say, if I'm going to serve the Lord, I won't be able to do this. 
take the business. Um, well, when this conversation came about, um, Grandpa George's father responded with, if you leave this country, you will no longer be a part of this business and you have no place having contact with the family. My great-great-grandpa George was then faced with a, with a choice. Either he would choose to obey his earthly father or he would choose to surrender to his, his heavenly father. This step of obedience into surrender was honored uh, by God. Even though Grandpa George lost his family, his earthly family, he was adopted into the family of God. His ministry had great effect in the Arab world. And I often, uh, at council and other places, uh, when I see Alliance people, I'm approached by Arabs who tell me about how uh, Grandpa Braden uh, started the church that they came to the Lord in. Um, and not only that, but also five generations of missionaries uh, and people who serve in ministry uh, uh, in his family um, are, yeah, we're, we're still doing it. Um, God honors all those who surrender. Um, and my family is an example of it. The final story I have for you is Jesus. You see, Jesus was called by God to the unthinkable. To suffer the unthinkable, to die an unthinkable death on our behalf. We all know the story. In the Garden, of e, uh, in the garden Jesus is faced uh, Faced by the events soon to come, he turns to heaven and asks the Father, My Father, if it, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but you, yours, be done. Such a burden had been placed on his shoulders, a burden for the lost people of this world. The death of Jesus on the cross was for you and for me. If you're sitting here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, then now is the time. A life filled, uh, fully surrendered is a fulfilling and wonderful life. All it takes is for you to receive him as your savior and believe and trust in him and the works uh, that he does in the gospel. You see, God planned for, the, for it to happen. He planned uh, for Jesus to suffer at the hands of the people and didn't in, to endure a terrible betrayal. Um, ultimately, ultimately, by all those who choose to sin against Jesus and God. However, this act sparked something. Something that changed everything. The change that leads to our salvation. What can be all only motivated, uh, 
what can only be motivation for the joy that God has for us, a moment in Scripture that captures this well is Revelation 5, 7 through 14. Um, So follow along as I read. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of God, Jesus, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were uh, holding golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus, uh, because you were slain, And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be be a kingdom and and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne And the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. When I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. Our four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You guys, we're in that midst. We're in the midst of those thousands worshipping him. Every time I read this, in my devotional time, I'm, I'm brought to tears. My heart yearns for the day uh, we all experience this. It is the reason for the work that that I do. It is the reason for the work that we all do. My heart's longing is to see everyone's knees bow down before Jesus. And for me to be part, no matter how small, of that happening. Before we end, though, I want to talk about the three principles um, that we see in these stories um, today. The first is that our our satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. Jesus has living water. And we go to him for that spiritual satisfaction. I want my life to only be satisfied by Jesus. Secondly, God has placed a calling on each of our lives. Will we be okay with that call? Our sins are forgiven, our guilt taken away uh, by Jesus. But will we surrender? Um, and lastly, Jesus on the cross paved the way for, our, for us to enjoy the fullness of our salvation. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus is Lord. I, I pray that I will be able to do this, not just in spirit, but also in truth. That's worth any sacrifice um, that I might have to make or that we might have to make. It was what motivated my uh, great-great-grandfather um, and his wife to go to Arabia. It's what ma- motivated my great-grandparents um, to go to Vietnam. It's what motivated my grandparents to serve uh, sacrificially in Hong Kong, and it's what motivated my parents to go into Germany. Um, so how about us this morning? How about Casey and I? Um, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just a wonderful picture of what it means to serve you. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, whatever we're holding back, um, I pray we would surrender it. Lord, any fears, Lord, anything that's preventing us from taking a step deeper into surrender, I pray that you would just help us see what it is so that we can actively step in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.